We'll take God's Word this morning and find Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to speak to you today on the second part, which is really the first part, of why it's important to belong. One of the privileges of being a pastor is you get to meet all kinds of different people with all kinds of different backgrounds. And you can honestly say in ministry, when you talk to someone about the gospel or about Jesus, that God doesn't care what your color, what your age, he doesn't care about your social status, he cares about none of that stuff. He only cares about your heart, your soul, and who you are. And God is so gracious and so compassionate and so loving toward every person. I want you to hear me, every person that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, God himself who became flesh, to sacrifice his life for you. And the reason he did that was because he wanted to meet the greatest need that you have in your life. And that is the need for identity and purpose and salvation. And God did that as a gracious act of love on your behalf because he wants you to be part of his family. You know, through the years when you counsel people, people will come and they will share things with you. And one of the major issues and problems in life is people feel like they have no purpose, they have no reason, they have no no one to love them or care for them. As a Christian, the greatest blessing that we have is to be able to tell someone that God wants them in his family. And this morning, by the time you leave here, you're going to know what it means to be in his family, how you get in his family, and what are the privileges of that. This is the best news that we have, folks. And Zach mentioned it about passing a baton. We have the greatest opportunity to pass the baton. So what does it mean to be in the body? We talked about the wheel last week, 20-some one-anothers that God gives to the New Testament church that we are to be doing with and for one another, honor one another, serve one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. When you study the Bible, especially the New Testament, these one another's just come out. We are members one of another. We are to love one another. We're to do good to one another. We're to, I mean, you want me to keep on going? That's a, this is a whole sermon series in itself, by the way. Take me a whole year to get through. And I've done this before. If you want to go back on our nice new app, thank you, Brittany, and search on sermons, you can go back and find all of those messages and listen to them so I don't have to repeat myself. But this is a lot of one another's. So if you're ever sitting in a church and you say, well, I just don't have anything to do. Well, God gave us about almost 30 commands that we are to do for one another. You say, well, who's one another? Just look in front of you. Now look to the side. And turn around look behind you and to the other side. This is our one another. And then when you get home in your community, look out the door to your neighbor. Look out the door to people down the street in your work. I mean, this is our purpose and our life. So what does this actually look like? Well, we talk about this all the time. Our mission statement at Trinity. We exist for one sole purpose, and that is to point people to Jesus. We know who can meet the needs of people, and it's our Lord. And he does this in a way that it's hard to explain, but he can do this, and he does do this. He meets us at our point of need and gives us exactly what we need. 
We mentioned last week, and just to review, that in order to be a healthy Christian, a healthy family member, we feel like there are five basic minimum things that you must do. I don't like the word things because these are actually actions. Okay, five actions. You should belong to a family. You should belong. That means that you should attend and engage in services. Now, I don't know how good you sing. I don't sing very well. How in the world anybody cannot sing this morning, I don't know. Uh, Karen and I were at a concert a while back. We just happened to end up seeing it. You should have seen the people that were singing to this particular, so I won't tell you who it was. But boy, they were singing. I mean, singing up a storm. And I just thought to myself, you know what, if a church would sing like that, you know, it, w- it was an 80s guy, okay? Uh, he, was, he was a good guy. <laughs> Best music in the world come from the 80s. But now they were singing, and I thought, could you imagine if a church would sing like that to God? And one of the ways that you belong and you, you participate is by singing. The local church was never intended to be an entertainment system where you have all these entertainment people and you're entertained. It's meant for you to actively participate. God wants to hear your heart and your voice as you sing praise to Him. Do you all actually picture when you're singing, do you all picture third heaven and you standing in the presence of God singing to Him? I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. And this is going up as a prayer unto God. Belong, actively be involved. And then we talk about, and we will, connecting. This is why this app is going to be so crucial. Connecting to at least one group in our church. Serving at least one time a year, somewhere, to the body. Giving in the ministry and going, sharing your faith. These are the five minimum actions in order to be what we would consider a a beginning healthy person in a church family. So, what does this look like? We're going to talk about belonging today. I kind of touched on it last week, and we had mentioned this. We are members of a body. Now, last week I spoke out of 1 Corinthians 12. Today I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12, just to prove to you that Paul knew exactly what he was talking about. Listen to the text. I'm actually going to put it on the screen for you, verses 4 and 5, but I'm going to go back and read 1 through 3, okay? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, the presentation of your body to do something for God is an act of worship, whether it's singing. I mean, we could go into all kinds of different areas here. But when you choose to do that, this is your worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now I pick up in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So great humility here. By the way, just a side note, where was Paul when he wrote Romans? He was in Corinth. 
What was the problem while he was in Corinth? There was some abuse of spiritual gifts. So he tells them, humble, humility, think about yourself, you know, be cautious when we overinflate ourselves and our importance. It was just a nice reminder. But he also says, now, take measure of who you are and do something with it. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. Now, I shared with you last week, could you imagine if your head decided not to show up one day? Or your hands? Or your feet? Or other parts of your body? How vital would that be? I mean, no. You are one body, and you are meant to stay together, and this is what Paul is communicating. Just like my hand works the remote for my brain when I tell it that this needs to switch, could you imagine me not having fingers? I mean... This is how intricate the body is. And by the way, that's how intricate you are to the body. Don't you ever leave this church and say, I have no importance. That is a lie you're believing from the pit. God has great plans for you, and we have something for you to do here. You're important to the body. Find your place. Let us help you find your place. Serve, and you'll find your real fulfillment in life, your purpose. And you'll invest in something for eternity. Okay, rehash. Y'all ready for rehash? Because I know you probably didn't even remember what I preached on last week. Don't tell me that, but anyway. The point last week was, we're all in one body, and the body needs you, and you need others in the body, and God is sovereign when He places you in certain bodies, certain local churches. We talked about all the wonderful local churches here in Christiansburg. Thank God for every one of them. Those who preach the gospel, everybody has a different bent. They may have different audiences they try to get. Praise God for all of them. They're preaching the gospel. They're doing the work of the Lord. Let's support one another and be thankful for one another instead of trying to think we're in a competition. We're actually together in this. And it's not about nose counting, whether they're large or small. You know, sometimes small churches can be very arrogant and proud. You know, Bless God, it's for us four and no more. I mean, okay, what's that all about? Us four and no more. Well, get out and do something. Reach people. Meet people's needs. You'll, you'll be able to fill a church. By the way, a new statistic came out. Did you realize that we are now considered a large church? Post-COVID numbers came out and said any church over 100 is considered a large church. Churches over 500 upward into the thousands are considered Really large churches. Okay? Sm Listen, a medium-sized church, these are new numbers that came out, are less than 50. Now that should be a punch in the gut to us. Because what that means is, Christianity in this part of the world is fading. Not Jesus. Jesus isn't fading. Christianity's fading. So what should that tell God's people, that somehow or another we have lost the importance of finding neighbors, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, and telling them about the importance of worship, Jesus, eternal life, serving together and being together. 
And folks, listen to your pastor very carefully. I've told you the words over and over of an old evangelist. He was actually a professor of mine in seminary. He could barely talk. And I remember as plain as day, I closed my eyes. He said, men, you better tell your churches. Share your faith or die. Share your faith or die. And I still see his bottom lip quivering. He knew what he was talking about. And this is our responsibility. Okay, so God places us in the body to serve. All right, good. So what are the lessons we learn? No Christian can function effectively alone. No Christian. That means that if you're out wandering away, you have no connection to a local body, you're not connecting with one another in some type of a group, you're not serving with somebody, you cannot function the way God intended you to. He meant for us to be together. I know the story's been told many times about the man who decided he was not going to come back to church. I think Vance Havner's the one that told this story. It was in a country setting. It's back when they used to have a log in the fireplace. And he said, I'm just going to tell you, I don't need to go back to that church. And the preacher reached over with a coal raker and he took one coal out of that fireplace and pulled it out on the edge of the hearth. And he let it sit there for a minute and he just kept watching it. Well, that glowing red coal, when it was pulled away from all the others, it went real dark and the fire went out. He took the poker and he pushed it back in the fire and it turned red again. He reached and he pulled it back out. And he did that until the guy finally said, I get your point. I'll be back Sunday. (laughs) The point is, God made us for one another. He also reminds us that no member of the body is so important it can function without anybody else. We need one another, and each member should contribute to the unity of the body. Your placement in the body that God puts you is so crucial. I cannot emphasize that enough. And we also talked about some benefits of connecting. When you connect with a family, you have a sense of belonging. You are known for who you are. We talked about being real, being yourself, being who you are. Stop pretending on Sunday morning. It's the worst thing you could ever do. Remember me telling you when you pretend that you've got it all together and your life's so perfect, you make yourself unapproachable. Stop that because you know you're not. You know you're not. I know I'm not. We're all broken. We all have problems in our family. If you don't have problems in your family, then uh, come and see me. I want to know your secret, all right? We, We all have issues in our life. We all have children. We all, I mean... You all get what I'm saying. We all are worried. We all have stress. We all have anxiety. Did you know that? Did you know that we all have anxiety? You say, well, I'm not an anxious person. Just wait. Wait and talk to me in a few years and come back. You will. We need to be able to handle this together with each other. So important. Be yourself. A sense of purpose for your life. Being cared for. You know, this is a good one. Being a part of a team was something that has eternal or lasting impact. I think everybody, truth be told, wants to invest their life in something that's going to live for eternity. 
Can I tell you something? The local church is going to live for eternity. You are not wasting one second of your life in worship or in service with anything to do with the church. Jesus said, what? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's, that's called a success formula. Jesus is going to make sure his church succeeds. It will not fail. And I don't care whether you serve with a group of 10 or 10,000. Your time serving God is never wasted. It will go through eternity. There are two things that are eternal. What are they? Well, I mean, we can include God. Okay. Beside God, two things are eternal. One is, you ready? The souls of man. When you look at a human being, they are an eternal being. Made in the image of God, because of that, they will live forever somewhere. You will live somewhere in eternity. Forever. There's a second that is eternal. What is that? Thy word is forever settled in the heavens, O God. God's word is eternal. Anytime you invest in the word of God and in the souls of people, you are investing in eternal work. And it will never, ever perish. So keep that in perspective the next time we get off kilter and off balance. Line ourselves back up and invest in something eternal. And then finally, accountability. You know, it's good to be held accountable. Aren't you glad your parents held you accountable? At least I hope they did. You know, what are you doing? What's on your phone? Let me see your phone. Y'all like random check? All the teenagers love this. Give me your phone. What would you erase that history for, son? You, don't, you think I don't know that? Mm-mm. Let's go back. We're going to do some digging. You don't do that. You don't hide anything. Or, or I'll be mirroring everything that you see on your phone. Accountability is good. And you know, when we're adults, accountability is good. Because by nature, we're sneaky creatures. We like to hide. We don't want anybody to see. Accountability is a wonderful thing. And being in a church family is good. This is why next week when we talk about connecting with one another, it's good to be in a group of about 10 to 12 people who know you, know your situation, know your circumstance, that will text you, call you, care for you. I mean, it's impossible for one person to do it to 150, 180 people. But it's not impossible for one person to connect with 8 or 9 or 10 where you're intimately involved in the life and the living of each other. And that's why it's so important. So this is such an incredible benefit. And only the church has this, by the way. So we are a body, but did you know we're also a family? Now, I'm not making this up. We are a family. When you become a Christian, when you trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life and the payment for your sin you actually become part of a family. We're going to talk about that, but I want to show you what Paul says. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he writes, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now listen to what he tells us. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's family language, folks. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
Now, for those of us who have a brother, this can be challenging, can it? I mean, as I've said before, nobody can make you as mad as your sibling. Mm. I could tell you all some stories about getting mad at your sibling, you know what I mean? Just... But you know what? At the end of the day, you still love them. And you'd still die for them. Was it Keith Whitley that sang that song, Brotherly Love? It's been a long time. Brotherly love is something we all... Anyway, if you listen to that song, he's basically talking about one trying to steal the other one's girlfriend and then something happens and they get into it. But at the end of the day, they so love each other that they die for one another. You know, I really think that's what God means when he says we are to love one another with brotherly love. We're to care that much with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When we do this as a church family, you know what the result is? It becomes contagious. When people see us meeting the needs of one another and loving one another and serving one another, this is a testimony and a witness to everybody who sees. These people love each other. Why do we do that? Because we're such nice people? No. Because we have a, a Jesus who lives inside of us and who has transformed our life and has taken our selfishness away and caused us to focus our attention, as He does, on someone else. You're never more like God than when you deny yourself and serve someone else. And that's what He calls us to do. So now a great question comes. You say, well, I want to be part of that body and part of that family. How do I do that? I'm so glad you asked that. How do you become part of that family? Do you just walk up here and, get, and we vote you in? No, we're not talking about that family. We're talking about God's family. How do you become part? You become part by the new birth. This is a lot of print up here, but I want to walk through it, help you. This is, this is really rich. Do you realize the new birth comes through what is called in, in the Bible regeneration? That means to give life. It is a supernatural work. It's done by God in which new life is imparted into your spirit. What happens is you hear God's message about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He did on your behalf. That He is in fact God, very God. He came to this earth. He died on a cross to pay the penalty of sin that you deserve. And He offers you as a free gift eternal life if you're willing to accept it. And when you believe on Jesus for eternal life, something supernatural happens. I mean, it's momentary, it's instantaneous. Boom! You are reborn inside. I mean, can you all remember when that happened to you? Some people may have heard a gospel message at a church and may have come forward and somebody helped you pray. Somebody may have been like me that was in my own home. In, in the middle of the night, and someone had preached that gospel message, and I, I heard it, I was sitting there thinking about it, and while I was in bed, I couldn't go to sleep, because I knew that if I died, that my eternal life would not be with God, it would be away from Him. And I didn't want that. And so, as a teenager, I crawled out of my bed, got on my knees. I did not have any Christian vocabulary. And I told the Lord, Lord, 
What I heard today about needing Jesus for eternal life, that's what I want. I, I, want, I don't want to go to hell. I want Him to save me. And I'm going to tell you something. That was the moment that I was saved. I didn't grow up in a Christian verbiage and all that stuff. I mean, and I, I wasn't discipled. I had no concept of what that meant for, you know, another Christian person to come and get a hold of you and take you and show you what it means to live life. Teach you what God's wisdom is. You know, it took me a long time to figure that out. But if you're in a caring church, people should be reaching new life. Well, after you've trusted Jesus for eternal life, you know, Jesus talked to Nicodemus about this, a man must be born again. John chapter 3, you can go read that. When that happens, when you trust or accept Christ as your Savior, there's something that happens in the courtroom of heaven too. Did you know that? And you really have no part over this. But Paul pictures this as a courtroom scene. This is where the moment you trust Jesus, God, in His sovereignty, wisdom, knowledge, and His plan, declares you to be justified in His sight. What does that mean? It means to be made right. Not because we are worthy of being made right, but because of our Savior who we trust has given to us something we could never earn on our own. And that is His righteousness. Did you know that when you trust Jesus as your Savior, that you really become as righteous as He is in God's eyes? And... I've got some verses up there. I want you to turn. I hope you brought a Bible. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I saw this again this week. It was such a blessing. I just thought I would share this with you. James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Sometimes we read over introductions and we don't really catch what they're saying or Y'all tell me when you're there. Go like this when you get there because I'm going to wait to you. This is worth me waiting on you. All right. We're talking about having the righteousness of Jesus being as right as He is. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read one verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith, are y'all ready? Of equal standing with ours. This is the Apostle Peter, the one given the command to have the keys of the kingdom. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, what does he say? I am writing this to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. You understand what that means? Is the Apostle Paul one notch up on you? How about Peter? Does he have one notch up on you in God's eyes? Well, according to the Apostles, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with the apostles. Now, how did you do that? Let's keep reading. Oh, this gets good. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus 
Christ. Now let's read that real careful again. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, and this is how you did it, through the righteousness that God put to your account when you believed on Jesus for eternal life. And it's not just the righteousness of anybody. Notice what he says. It's the righteousness of our God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you have accepted Christ and His gift of eternal life for you, you have equal standing with the apostles because you have the same righteousness given to your account as they. And that should make all of us in our heart go, Thank you, Lord Jesus. I never saw that for myself, but I see it this morning. Oh, my. The same righteousness, the Apostle Paul. The same, yeah. That means all of your sin and worthlessness and everything that you keep putting in front of yourself going, Oh, yes, but I'm, I'm, stop that. You have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. And when He put you in the family, He made you a righteous child. So stop all this unworthiness talking, oh, I'm unworthy. No, you're not. If you believed on Jesus for eternal life, you are as righteous as He is because He gives it to you as a free gift. And that's a blessing. Every time I'm reminded of sin, self, shame, all these things the enemy keeps trying to pile on about, oh, you're not good, you're not worthy enough. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Read it slow. Memorize it. Put it right there on your heart. And the next time that's whispered in your ear, I have obtained a faith of equal standing by the righteousness given to me by my God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. So if I ask you a question, how righteous do you have to be to get into heaven? You know what? You'd better answer me. I have to be as righteous as Jesus. You say, well, there's no way I can. Yes, you can. How do you do that? You accept the free gift of His righteousness. And that, my dear friend, is the message, the wonderful message of Christianity that you and I have to share with other people. And that's how you become part of God's family. You share in His righteousness and His gift of eternal life. Okay, I even put it up on the screen for you. You know why? Because I wanted you to read it with me. You ready? You understand it now, don't you? Let's read it together. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. Thank you, Lord. So, how do we enjoy God's family? We enter God's family by believing on Christ for eternal life. How do we enjoy it? Did you know that not only does He give you new birth in the family, but God also adopts you? What does it mean to be adopted? <clears throat> in America, adoption means that I look out and I see a child that's not wanted or can't have a home, and so I go appeal to someone and I say, you know, I want to take this child into my family 
and give them my name. In the New Testament times, that was not what adoption was. Adoption wasn't about, like, bringing someone into the family. New Testament adoption was more like a legal inheritance. Let's say that I look at an employee who's working for me, and I say, you know, that's really a good employee. They're serving hard, and all my children, you know, they're, they're being lazy. They're not working. They don't care about me, and blah, blah, blah. And so I want to take all my inheritance, and I want to give that to one of my employees. What would I do? In New Testament times, I would adopt that person. And before I even died, I could grant them the rights and the privileges of heirship. You all following me? It's almost like having an act of trust and allowing someone to start withdrawing from a trust while the person is alive and having blessings and benefits in the family. Now, that was New Testament adoption. So as members of this family, what is our privilege? Well, uh, and this is just good theology here. Privileges of adoption, what does God give us the privilege of? Well, he provides for our needs in this life. You know, Paul said what? Because I'm a child of God, if I have a need, what does he do? He will provide all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We also enjoy divine guidance. God doesn't leave us alone. He allows us to pray the leading of the Spirit in our life, helping give us direction. God guides His children. <clears throat> and He also lets us know that we are co-heirs with Jesus. Now, if you think righteousness, and that is a wonderful blessing, <clears throat> listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 17. You should mark this one down. Because we're in adoption language now. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says. I'm in verse 15. I have to go back up to 14. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of... Adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself, this is the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're also what? Heirs. Now notice he repeats that word again. Yeah, I said heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs or joint heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Don't squander your adoption. Don't squander your inheritance. Finish well in this life. Not working for your salvation, but working it out. And if we do that, guess what? We are shares in his inheritance. Now, this is a good message to preach to people that just keep reaching and reaching and trying to get, get, and hoard. And, you know, listen to me. What more could you want than what God has? Guess what, believer in Jesus? You got it. Not because I said it, Paul said it. You're an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus. 
and you have all the inheritance that he possesses. And I want to remind you what the psalmist said. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and by the way, the dirt under them too. And he makes his children an heir with him. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's rich. Christians and Christian family, we don't even realize what lays out in eternity for us. I'm convinced God didn't spend too much time talking about it in his word because if we really knew, we'd be in a hurry to get there. Forget the blood pressure medicine, forget the cholesterol, you know, eat all the ice cream you can. I'm joking. <laughs> but it would be a blessing. And how do we interact with the family? We love unconditionally, we identify unashamedly, and we attend faithfully. We connect. We belong. We're part of the family. We're future heirs together. All because of our worthy Savior who made all that possible. Now, this wouldn't be complete without sharing some reasons why people fail to connect. Maybe I could put up some more. It's a whole message in itself. And I didn't even put that up there. But fear and suspicion, one. Maybe you've been hurt by a church member in the past. I talk to people all the time. I can't go back to a church because such and such hurt me. Listen. Listen. You cannot allow yourself to be in bondage to someone else's actions. You're the one that's hurting, not them. Get involved in a local family, a local church family. You're part of the body. You belong there. Give it a try. Don't allow fear and suspicion to, to creep in and bitterness to just rob your joy. You are meant to be with one another. Resentment and bitterness, Paul, in the, in the context of a local church, do not let anger go down on your wrath. It can destroy your life. Don't do it. Don't become bitter. Selfishness can also be a reason why people don't connect. And you can read that verse. In the context of a local church, what does Paul say? Take upon yourself what Jesus took upon Himself, the form of a servant. Humble yourself and serve one another. Who is the greatest in the kingdom, Lord? I want to be great. You want to be great, He said? Become the servant of all and you'll be great. Isn't it amazing how God takes the business model and does this? Greatness in the business world is the man on top. He's the big man. He's, he's, he's the one everybody serves. Greatness in the church and in the family of God, He's put right on the bottom. The greatest becomes the servant of all. He takes out the trash. He cleans up the floor. He picks up chewing gum. He opens the car door. He grabs an umbrella and holds it for somebody as they're going. He's, he's a servant. You know why? Because he knows what the Lord told him. And then finally, isolation. Paul addressed, or not Paul, the writer of the Hebrews addressed this issue. And he told him, he said, Stop forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But we're seeing the day of the Lord coming back. And when we see that day approaching, what should we be doing? Encouraging one another. And folks, look around in our world. Could He be coming soon? Very interesting what's happening. We live in some interesting times. 
So I encourage every person to be involved in the family and share about this loving family with others. And tell people about Jesus. I want you all to think about this statement. Just engage with me for a moment. Only Jesus can meet your need for significance. He's the only one who can give you value for stability, for protection, for productivity, and being valued. He is the only one who can do that. And I hope you've trusted on Him for eternal life this morning and received His gift of righteousness. And I hope you're in His family. And if you are, I hope you become part of our family. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful message of eternal life through Jesus, for belonging in a family, for connecting, serving, giving and going. Help us to truly think about what your word says about being members of a body, members of a family, and may we truly seek to connect and belong one with another. May we share our burdens, our hurts, our problems. May we be free to really just be who we are in this broken world as people that truly have needs. May we be honest with ourselves and with other people that we're all desperate for you and dependent upon you, but also we need one another. So help us to willingly engage in the lives of other people as we worship our Savior and give thanks for eternal life that He has given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.